Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Stevenson for three. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kutch with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning his Brissett. Outs it all. It's it to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. Well, what is going on, Pacer Nation? What looked like a bad night actually turned into a good one. The Pacers lost. The Cavaliers lost. And we now know that with Toronto winning against Atlanta, the Cavaliers are officially elim- uh, eliminated from the top six. So they will be in the play-in tournament. And joining me to talk about everything that's happened tonight and just a little bit of other stuff is the one and only Rhett Bauer. Rhett, thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely, Alex. Thanks for having me on after a night of a roller coaster of emotions as far as the <laughs> picks go in this uh, this this season because the the results were in our favor and then not in our favor and then in our favor again with OKC pulling a win. Absolutely. So let's just talk about that real quick. Portland was up ninety to seventy two. Last time I checked, I put a tweet out saying that the uh, OKC Thunder were down by 18 points. The Raptors had won. The Cavaliers had lost. I said, this is not looking good for the Pacers because heading into tonight, the Pacers were just a game and a half back of OKC. When they lost to Philly, they were just a game back. And then (laughs) with OKC down 18, I thought, this is just bad news for the Pacers. But come to find out, good things happen to those who wait. And Rhett is the one that waited and watched this game out. All of a sudden, OKC comes back and beats Portland, okay? So now the Pacers are just a half game back of the Oklahoma City Thunder for the fourth best odds in the draft lottery. So, Rhett, just kind of like how big of a deal is this for the Pacers to get to the top four? It's a really big deal. I mean, obviously, the top four, that changes the percentages at not only staying in the top four, but also the odds of getting number one overall. But when I tell you that this game was absolute chaos, like <laughs> it was the the Portland Trailblazers scored 12 points in the fourth quarter. 12 total. <laughs> like they were trying so hard to lose this game. And boy, did they do it. They've made quite a run in the uh the inverse standings, but no, I mean, like 
getting the game, getting it to be a half game between four with the schedules, the way that they are. I know uh, Derek from my Pacers blog tweeted out the Pacers have a pretty tough schedule and OKC doesn't have as tough of a schedule. So there's a chance and OKC actually plays one more game too. So you're looking at an opportunity to get just to creep up just a little bit more and increase those ping pong balls. Yeah, the Pacers don't play until Saturday. That's their next game. So if you're on the lookout for some games to watch, uh, the Pistons actually host the Mavericks. And I know it seems pretty impossible that the Pacers could pass the Pistons, but Detroit's been playing pretty good right now. Cade Cunningham has been playing phenomenal. You guys saw Sadiq Bey have himself a game against the Pacers on Sunday. Uh, Detroit is only a game and a half ahead of the Pacers in inverse standings for the three spot, and they own the tiebreaker against the Pacers head-to-head. So that means the Pacers would get the better lottery odds and would fall further down in the standing. So that is another positive there, but they have a pretty tough schedule. I think they play like Milwaukee. They play Dallas tomorrow, then they play Milwaukee, then they finish it uh, on the road against the 76ers on Sunday. So like I said, it's going to be tough for them really to lose or, or win out, excuse me, but it would be interesting. But let's explain this Cavaliers pick because the Cavaliers lost to the Magic tonight and the Raptors won. So that means that they are now going to be a guarantee for the play-in. So, Rhett, to just help me out here because I was having a hard time trying to explain this out loud, but maybe just dumb it down for us. What exactly are the protections on this pick for the Pacers and the Cavs? All right, so the Pacers own the Cavaliers 2022 first as long as the Cavs make the actual playoffs. That means they right now they're sitting at the seven seed, a game and a half up on Brooklyn and Atlanta. So they have one game at home. If they win, then they're in the playoffs and the Pacers get the pick. They, if they lose to Brooklyn at the matchup that it is right now, then they'll have another game also at home. And then they're in as the eight seed and the Pacers would also get the pick. So right now it looks very likely that the Cavs would have two games to win for the Pacers to get the pick and, and for the Cavs to actually make the playoffs. But if the Cavs end up dropping both of those games, they drop to the nine spot, then they lose one game, then the Cavs would retain their 2022 first and the Pacers would then have the rights to their 2023 first with also lotto protection. So it would be a very similar situation. And, uh, and and we talked about this before we started recording, but I don't know about you, Alex. I would much rather have this pick just convey, convey this year, even if the 2023 draft seems a little bit better than the 2022. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things where it's like, honestly, if the Cavaliers end up making the playoffs this year, as the eight seed, that is the best case scenario for the Pacers with this pick because it gets the Cavaliers as close to the lottery as possible without being in the actual lottery. And then that pick will go to Indiana. And that pick basically was given up just for Karis LeVert. So you, you think about it, it's like, okay, the Pacers got like a top 15, 16 pick for Karis LeVert. It's a pretty good deal considering where the Pacers were at and what Karis LeVert was uh, contributing to this team, which was a whole lot of, uh, nothing in terms of success. So uh, just to kind of dumb it down real quick, I, I'm not trying to over-explain this, but if the Cavaliers miss the playoffs, not the play in, then that pick will go back to Cleveland. That same thing, that same scenario is set up for 2023. If the Cavaliers miss the playoffs the next two seasons, okay, the top eight in the Eastern Conference, then that first round pick becomes a Cavaliers 2025 second round pick and a Los Angeles Lakers 2026 second round pick. So that means it would turn into two seconds, 
no protections on it if the Cavaliers do not make the playoffs in the next two years. So I've been trying to explain this on Twitter pretty much daily to people that ask questions, but I'm getting a little bit fatigued replying to everybody's answer with the same uh, situation. So that is how it's broken down. If you're not sure what that even means, Tony East wrote an article on Forbes that explains it all in writing if you want to see it there. Um, I'm, I've wrote about it on Twitter several times, so just look my name up and look up uh, Cavs or something. You'll see it on there. But uh, I understand what you're saying, though, Rhett, when it comes to this pick, just conveying this year. I feel like there is some really decent talent from that really – Anywhere from like after the top four, I think like there's another tier, probably like five to 13, but anywhere from like 14 to like 30, I think you can make a case for a lot of players in this draft. And I, I like that flexibility to maybe go out and get another guy. Yeah, absolutely. And another small standings watch is that we own Detroit's 2023. Oh, wait, sorry. We do have their second this year, right? We have Houston's. Houston's. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Houston's 20, uh, 2022 second, which is ours. There's no protections on that. We also have the Suns, which will more than likely be the very last pick in the second round. So, uh, yeah, there's seven, <laughs> seven game difference between Memphis and Phoenix right now. With yeah. Like, we're getting uh, six games to go. So, yeah, we should be all right there. I don't even think there's six games. No, there's four. There. There's yeah, four so left for the Sun. Good grief. Yeah. So, uh, we're definitely going to have the last pick in the draft. And we'll have the first pick probably in the second round, more than likely with how Houston's looking. So that does work out pretty well. And if you get pick 15 and pick 31, that gives you some flexibility to move up as well if you're interested in doing that. So uh, just keeping an eye on that. But of course, the big thing is getting into the top three, top four for the inverse standings is just huge. So OKC, I don't know what you're doing, but thank you. Please keep winning, whatever it takes. I think they've got the Clippers and the Lakers. Uh, left on their schedule as well as Utah. So there's obviously a winnable game there, especially if the Lakers are eliminated from the play-in. There's a good chance they could beat the Lakers. So, uh, uh, And right now the Spurs are currently beating the Nuggets, which would eliminate the Lakers from the play-in. So it could get ugly over there in Los Angeles. Mm, there's nine minutes left in that game, so we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, the Lakers are playing the Suns as well tonight, so we'll see how that plays out. But that is pretty much all we have for standings watch. So I know it gets kind of confusing, but what you're wanting to root for right now is you're wanting the Cavaliers to make the actual top eight playoffs, and you're wanting OKC and or Detroit to have a better record overall than the Indiana Pacers if that is not plain enough. So, Rhett, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and recap this game and then talk about uh, the top five on your draft board outside of the consensus top four that everyone talks about. So we'll be right back after this. All right, everybody, we are back just like T.G. McConnell was tonight for the Indiana Pacers. We're going to recap this Philadelphia game, obviously, uh, really bad second quarter from the Pacers gave up 49 points, uh, just an abysmal defensive effort there from the Pacers in that second quarter. Um, but let's talk about this McConnell returns, Rhett, what were your thoughts on TJ McConnell actually returning, not alone just for this game, but for this season with three games left where the Pacers are at right now. Yeah, he spoke post game and said that he just wanted to feel like a basketball player again. And, mm. and I just think that that's, that's very human of him, and I liked to see that. I liked to see him out there doing all of the things that T.J. McConnell does. He did not score, missed all four of his shots, uh, but had four rebounds, five assists, and was just 
out there doing what TJ McConnell does. It it was kind of nice to have another adult out there on the floor, if that makes sense, and doesn't yeah. sound too, um, you know, diminishing for the rest of the roster. But it's just been a lot of a lot of terrible losses and a lot of disorganization and TJ kind of brought a little bit of energy and, and, and more of a floor generalness uh, when Halliburton was off the floor, but yeah, I mean, it's just good to see him out there. And I, I definitely empathize with him just wanting to be out there regardless of the, the, the yeah. season coming to an end so soon. Right, right, right. I think I was just more so surprised, like, coming off a wrist injury that kept you out this long, like what really is the point of coming back? Like, and I understand his logic, like, sure. He wants to play, but if you're the Pacers, like the last thing I want to do is like put a guy out there. If he's not like, I guess he's hundred percent ready, but just like, it felt kind of like, is it really worth the risk knowing that, you know, you only have three games left, but I understand. I mean, I thought when I watched him out there, you could tell he was not going to contribute to winning too, too much because obviously being off that long, he's got to get back into game shape and, and stuff like that. But I can um, I can kind of understand what you're saying here with having an adult out there on the court because, look, outside of the Pacers' young core that's really been playing the last couple of weeks, you're talking Buddy Hield and Lance Stevenson are the two adult veterans on this team that have been playing significant minutes. And so uh, – and I think this isn't a knock on Lance, but I think he's a kid at heart when he comes to playing this game, especially in front of these fans. And so – to me, it was like, okay, you got someone that's not as much about the air guitar and the shimmy and the dance, and uh, he's not going to have as much fun. He might tell the crowd, are you not entertained if he gets a good steal? But, you know, he's going to keep it pretty professional out there on the court. And I felt like, honestly, the entire game, his return probably got the biggest applause from the fans. So, you know, I thought it was cool. It's fine. I mean, I wasn't worried about the Pacers winning if he came back. But um, <laughs> I think my favorite part is when he took a three – I think it was in the first quarter. He took a three in this guy in front of me when I was at the game. He yelled, no, don't shoot it. Don't shoot it. <laughs> then I thought, <laughs> I thought to myself, oh, we're back to this again. Uh, because the truth is, T.J. McConnell, uh, watching him warm up, taking threes, I was like, this is probably how he broke his wrist in the first place. Uh, it's, just, it's just an ugly shot, and it takes way too long to set up. Yeah, I mean – Honestly, if you're trying to lose games, TJ McConnell taking a bunch of threes is not the worst <laughs> game <Exactly>. plan. <laughs> but again, just having him out there, having him taking shots like that, he does need to shoot the three sometimes. So it didn't go in. So the wrist may still be bothering him. That's the excuse I'm giving him. And uh, I'm just looking forward to see him, him again in these last couple of games. Yeah. And I want to talk about Lance Stevenson here for a second, because obviously um, he was brought in here midway through the season during the COVID stuff. And Got a, a rest of the season contract. I don't believe it. I think there might be a team option for next year, if I'm not mistaken. But he only played nine minutes. He was four or five in those nine minutes. And actually, it was pretty fun out there for the Pacers in that uh, miserable second quarter. He was a minus 16. I don't believe he played in the second half at all. So I was curious, what were your thoughts on Lance Stevenson's role, number one, with tonight's uh, rotation? And... Was this possibly the last game we get to see Lance Stevenson at Bankers or excuse me, Gamebridge Fieldhouse? That's just what I kept thinking about as as we were watching Lance hit those shots in the second quarter and do his dances and all that stuff. I was like, man, he's really soaking in the uh, the Gamebridge Fieldhouse crew. I'm I don't think he has a team option. I think he's just an unrestricted free agent, which is. I don't know how to feel about it on one hand. Like, yes, it would be nice. He said he wants to end his career with the Pacers, which 
I'm sure the the team might not mind that, but listening to Scott Agnes talk on the Hoops Hype podcast not that long ago, he said that it, it comes down to what Herb Simon wants versus what uh, Rick Carlisle wants, mm-hmm. and I found that extremely interesting. I don't know what kind of role he's going to have next year, especially if if both of these picks convey. Like if we get, let's say we get Ivy at four, and then we take another wing ish player with the Cavs pick. There is no room on the roster for Lance to get minutes. And that that hurts to say, but I just, I don't know. I think this season was perfect for him to come back and anything after this would probably be taking developmental minutes from people who we need to be prioritizing. Yeah, I mean, I guess the best case scenario for Pacer fans that are a little bit nervous about him leaving is they just bring him back as like the 15th man on the roster. I think there's worse 15th mans out there in the NBA for sure. Uh, I understand that Lance has ups and downs as an overall player talent wise, but really when he comes into the game still, for the most part, he's getting the loudest cheer out of any player. It's kind of wild still to me that the fan base is this in uh, engrossed in him, but I, uh, I respect it. And I think, you know, like the shimmy, the guitar, like people were loving every second of that. And so it's uh, it's part of who he is. And I think that Herb Simon really probably knew like, when I came out and talked to these reporters and said this was my little team and I saw how bad the team was losing, like, and how bad ticket sales were, he's like, I got to do something to get these sales up a little bit. Um, obviously not having basketball in 2020, 2021, or excuse me, not having fans at the games had to impact somewhat of the revenue, right? So I'm sure with all that lost money, he was thinking, okay, I got to do something to salvage the season because right now the field house is empty. And I went to some of those games. I will say tonight, it felt like a very full crowd compared to when I went in December against the Heat on a Friday night. So that to me just speaks volumes of the fan base loves McConnell. They love Lance Stevenson and they're intrigued by these young players that are on the roster. So I think that Herb Simon should have a say. I think that, hey, he's the owner. If he wants to bring Lance back as a 15th man, it makes a lot of sense. I just don't think fans are ready for this to be the end of the Lance era once again. Um, since this is his third time back here with the team and they didn't even get a full season with him. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he came back. I'm glad we got some butts and some seats for the last home game of the season with uh, TJ McConnell being able to come back for that as well. But uh, really, really interested to see what this guard room looks like heading into next yeah, year with the that's draft picks. That's fair. And I think, I think there is a, a world where he could play some at the three, not saying every night, but – in a pinch, I think he could. He's got the ability to run point when necessary. Um, but I but I do think that he does miss Sabonis um, playing that pick and roll with him. I will just be honest. Pacers not having a legit roller like Domas and uh, a, a good screener like that. It does have an impact on Lance's overall game. But uh, enough about Lance. I want to talk about some positive stuff here. So did you notice anything positive in tonight's Philly game? Oh, man. Um, They kept fighting. I know that's cliche or, you know, pretty low-hanging fruit, but being down to a team like Philly, um, being able to to come back like they did after giving up such an abysmal quarter to to end the first half was was encouraging to see. Once again, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith continued to do good things, um, blocking a lot of shots, being all over the place, and they kept going at Embiid 
on, on certain possessions, even after getting absolutely obliterated a couple times, I, I know Ajax uh, tried to make a move turned and, and Embiid just was completely unbothered and sent it back. Um, but no, I, I just like seeing that they keep, keep playing hard and, and keep running around out there trying to make things happen, even when they're down to a good team, which they're young. So again, that's low hanging fruit, but uh, it's, it's pretty easy in a season like this to get discouraged. And I didn't really see that from them tonight. Yeah, no, I think they fought back. I thought Jalen Smith played all right in his minutes. Um, I really was impressed when I talked to you about this before we got on the air was Isaiah Jackson. Look, I understand he's not going to be able to guard and beat. Okay. Like, the man is like twice the size and, and muscle Embiid uh, is compared to Isaiah Jackson. So uh, Isaiah Jackson is going to have to put on some muscle if he really wants to be a center moving forward. But I will say this, when Embiid was on the perimeter, I felt like Isaiah Jackson's length did bother Embiid. And there was actually um, in the first quarter and in the fourth quarter, two instances where Isaiah Jackson blocked Joel Embiid's jump shot. And so we heard Rick Carlisle talk about this. And it's kind of funny because if you guys go back to the end of the first quarter, McConnell was like doing everything he could to try to steal the ball from Embiid <laughs> as the time was expiring with the first quarter. And he takes like a shot, like one step in uh, past the half court line and drills it because McConnell just wasn't obviously big enough or tall enough to get in his way and really affect a shot. But I feel like Isaiah Jackson having that length is just huge for him. So, you know, I was really impressed by that. I was really wanting to see Goga Batadze tonight. I won't lie to you, Rhett, just to see, because I think he's been playing pretty well the last couple of weeks. And I wanted to see how he played against a guy like Joel Embiid. And unfortunately, he was out with an injury. So hoping that he gets okay because I got the Sixers again on Saturday. So I would be cool. It'd be cool to see him play in that role. But other than that, I, I thought Terry Taylor had some nice moments there on the offensive glass as well as he always does. But just battling out there with these bigger guys like DeAndre Jordan and uh, Joel Embiid because he's such, an, he's such an undersized big. But, you know, I, I think – what it really comes down to, it's like this team is just a weird makeup right now, and uh, they're doing the best with what they got, but overall you can just see the lack of talent missing, especially to a team like Philly who was lights out from three. Buddy Heald also having 25 points and 11 boards is just <laughs> bizarre. His run with the Pacers continues to make absolutely no sense. Keep Buddy long-term? I I don't know, man. I on one hand, he's playing extremely well, so a team may want him, but he's also playing extremely well, so the Pacers may want him. And yeah. I just have no idea how to reconcile that. I'm I just I'm so interested to see what happens with him moving forward. But no, I it was really encouraging to see Isaiah Jackson out there on the perimeter. You knew he was gonna get bullied, like everybody gets bullied. Miles gets bullied, Goga get like every big in the league gets bullied by a top two, three MVP candidate, like, like Embiid. So it was, uh, it was not, not a surprise to see that happen, but he, he, like I said, he continued to play well, made some plays on the perimeter and uh, was, was, was all over the place defensively. So I, I just love seeing him play. Yeah. How do you feel about this Philly team going into the playoffs? I am not a fan. Yeah. I like they, I, I tweeted it out that they struggled to score on this Pacers team. Yeah, in the half court, like there were three straight possessions where they got a shot up as the shot clock was expiring. Mm -hmm. But there's, I don't remember who was on the floor. I should probably go back and look because that might explain it. But I just, I just have a lot of concern. I don't know. Maybe I'm 
doubting too much. It's the same concerns that we had, but then it came back to like, well, it's Joel Embiid and James Harden. So like blah, but I don't know. I I would not expect them to make a conference finals. They'll probably win one series. And then once they get up against a, a good team that, that can expose them a little bit, I would not be shocked to see them lose pretty handily. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they, uh, if they ended up losing in the first round, depending on who they play. I mean, watching this team tonight, like Tyrese Maxey was unbelievable. And so was Embiid. I mean, the Pacers were unbelievable. Just forgetting about Tyrese Maxey. More (laughs) so than Tyrese Maxey was unbelievable. (laughs) I mean, just left him wide open and wide open. And I mean, honestly, I was kind of surprised when I saw how many assists James Harden had at one point, I looked up and it was like nine points, 14 assists. And I was like, he's had that many assists already. Like it was just kind of quiet. It felt like because he wasn't scoring the basketball whatsoever. And really didn't seem to be putting a lot of pressure on the Pacers like he usually used to do with, you know, Houston. So he's changed as a player quite a bit. And I was laughing so hard behind me because I had two kids probably, you know, probably like one was probably around 12. The other one was probably like eight or nine. And the 12 year old was like, hey, and B, go for 50. And he's like screaming it real loud. And then the, his little brother goes, yeah, Harden, go for 10. And oh, I just man. started, I just started laughing. <laughs> Me and my buddy were just laughing. It's just like, it was so funny because he was just like dead serious. Like he was being authentic and it was just like, he has nine points. It's like, uh, you're paying a lot of money and they traded a lot, you know, Seth Curry, Ben Simmons, uh, Andre Drummond for, for a guy that I don't know if he's really going to make that big of a difference in the playoffs. We'll see. Don't want to write him off yet, but I'm not, I'm not too uh, thrilled with what I've seen so far from Philly. I feel like, everything still relies so much on Joel Embiid and what he's able to do. But, uh, you know, Tobias Harris got hot as well from the beginning of the game. And, uh, you know, it's just, this was a tough matchup for the Pacers. It always will be. And I can't really recall the last time I see, seen Joel Embiid play in Indianapolis, but it was good to see him back out there um, on the, uh, on our court, because I felt like I haven't seen him out uh, at the field house in a while. Yeah, no kidding. It, I mean, it seems like every time we do see him, you can just bet the overs on his points and rebounds because he's just gonna smash, smash yeah. whatever, whatever the line is. But yeah, it's good to see, good to see him out there finishing the season strong. I was nervous when his knee tweaked uh, in the mm, second half yeah. there, but man, because I want this MVP race to be close, even though I don't think he'll get it. Him, him going out with an injury here late in the season would just be a bummer. Yeah, and I will say this: um, he was so pot, like he was such a positive on the floor tonight. The Pacers had this huge comeback whenever he went out. DeAndre Jordan came in, James Harden came in for Maxi, and the Pacers just go on this huge run. And then Dwayne Washington tries to go for a poster dunk, probably I would call it, on uh, DeAndre Jordan, and DeAndre Jordan uh, fouls him, and they called it a flagrant two. He was ejected from the game. And Joel and B came back in, and I feel like that's when everything just started turning against the Pacers. Also, not to mention they had Buddy Hield and Dwayne Washington Jr. out there at the same time. So any guy on the perimeter was going to get past that defense. But um, what were your thoughts on that flagrant two call? And did you think that it was warranted for him to get ejected? No, it wasn't warranted. It's it's about intent. I think he was going up there to contest the shot. Yes, he hit him in the head. It would have been a flagrant one. But, I mean, he was contesting the shot. I, I don't know. I On one hand, yes, you don't really – want to see a full speed collision like that with dudes up in the air. But on the other hand, it's, it wasn't a non-basketball play. So flagrant two felt like a little much, but Hey, that might've been the difference with the Pacers winning this game and not. <laughs> no, I, I think they would have brought him beat back in a little bit sooner if it got any closer, but yeah, I agree with you on that one. And I felt the same way about the Chris Middleton flagrant two that was assessed last 
Thursday against Brooklyn when one of the most classic regular season games of the year. That was a fun one. Uh, I just didn't like that Middleton didn't, you know, I, I understand intent and stuff like that, but it's like you want a guy to just give up on a play and let a guy just get a wide open basket when the game's close, or do you want them to try their best to go out there and try to stop it without fouling? And you could tell Middleton, I felt like to me anyway, Middleton, his intent was not to hurt. Um, I, forget, I think it was – was it Bruce Brown that he found? I can't even remember at this point, but I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and Brown slowed down and looked back at Middleton. Like, you know, he was afraid he might get blocked from behind that kind of stuff. So I get it. It's a bang, bang play, but I think sometimes we overanalyze this based off of watching a replay and we look at, Oh, how it looked on tape versus the intent of it. Like you said, and it just, to me, it's just like most of these fouls that they're calling flagrant twos in the regular season. Are they really going to call that in the playoffs? I hope not. I mean, I understand trying to keep the game safe and like trying to set some sort of standard, but it also seems like there's a pretty inconsistent bar with what's supposed to be ejection worthy and what's not. So, I mean, I, I don't really know. I, I'm just hoping that there aren't any opportunities for some foul like that in the playoffs that the refs even have to worry about it. Well, you know that's going to happen, bro. <laughs> <laughs> good, good point. Fair enough. It's definitely going to happen, especially if you're trying to win a, an elimination game, something like that. I just – you know, you got to think about the intent more than anything. But uh, let's take one more quick break. We'll come back and we'll get Rhett's top five on his NBA draft big board as we uh, look at uh, the upcoming draft as we're getting closer to it. And once again, I want to specify this is outside of the top four. So consensus top four for most people is Boncaro, Jabari Smith, our guy, Jaden Ivey, and of course, Chet Holmgren. So we're going to get Rhett's top five outside of the top four right after this. All right, everybody, we are here to hear Rhett's top five outside of the top four. Rhett, number one, who do you got? So it's it's weird because this is kind of a boring pick, but to me, it's got to be Keegan Murray. I think he's just such a safe pick, and while I wouldn't be overly excited with him if it, if the Pacers took him at five, he's going to be a good player in the league. And I think that he does have some upside rather than just being a safe role player, but I'm not sure he has superstar level upside. Like some of the other guys ahead of him do. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I put this in my article for eight points, nine seconds. I said, you know, Murray has a high floor with a middle to low ceiling. I don't see superstar in his game, but I see a solid all-star, all-star level player if he reaches his full potential. So I think that there's a lot to like about him. He's got a great, he's got a high IQ, really improved from, you know, I think he's a sophomore this year. I think he retro. I'm not sure. But from last year to this year, I mean, you just saw a massive jump in his game. I think if you look at what he did in the NCAA tournament, obviously there were some questionable defensive moves that he made and um, against Richmond. But if you just judge him off of one game against a team in the NCAA tournament in Richmond that was hot, I think that's a little bit unfair. If you look at his overall season with Iowa, yeah, he's 21 years old. Might be a little bit older for a sophomore. But I really think he's – uh, a good fit. And and one thing that we've talked about is, is drafting, you know, for fit versus best player available. And I understand everyone's like, Oh, you draft best player available. But in this case, it could be a little bit of both here, Red. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the position of need is there. The skill set is there being able to play both sides, play unselfishly. I think the fit with Halliburton would be fantastic, but I do think that if they took Keegan Murray, that the team would still be lacking a true number one go-to option. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I mean, if you're going to take a pick like that, 
that's going to be a great one. I think just because he he's, I don't think he's going to bust. Like there's a very slim chance right. of that happening. So on the other hand, there are a couple guys that I have on the list near Keegan that could very well bust. And that includes AJ Griffin and then yeah. Shaden Sharp, who are two extremely unproven players who have played very little basketball. Uh, Shaden Sharp didn't play at all this year for Kentucky, but man, the ceiling on these two are just really, really enticing. And almost exactly what you would want to look for with uh, if you have one top pick to go with in, in the next 20, 30 years, uh, you kind of want to swing for the fences. And that is definitely what these two are. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm, I'm really high on Sharp. Because most of the guys that I talked to that cover the draft were talking about him being like a top three pick in next year's draft, which is considered a better draft class. So the fact that, you know, because we haven't seen college tape, there is a little bit of concern coming out of high school, graduating early, was able to be eligible for the second semester at Kentucky, didn't play at all, uh, rode the bench. He's got a lot to improve on, obviously. The high school game compared to the NBA is totally different. But if you just look at his highlight tapes and, and any film that you can get on him, you can see why scouts are really in, encouraged by what he brings to the table. So I said this. I said I feel like whoever drafts him will get praise for years and years because uh, I see big things in store for him. But it might take a few years for him to really find that. But I really like Sharp. And, you know, A.J. Griffin, I, I still like him a lot too. I had him at five for a while, but I actually slid him down to eight. And it's not really a knock on him. I just am a little bit concerned about the injuries that he had in high school, a knee and an ankle injury that almost that made him miss almost two years of school, uh, high school basketball. It just you got to wonder with a guy having that type of injury history already in his young career, will it carry over to the NBA? And the Pacers have already dealt so much with injuries. Does it, it scare you off just a little bit? I can understand why it would scare you off a little bit, but for me, I mean, it's really going to depend on where they fall in the draft. If it's five right. and they take Griffin over Keegan Murray, that gets a little bit not iffy for me. It just would, would kind of make me hmm. raise an eyebrow. Yeah. But if it's like seven, I would have no problem taking AJ Griffin or, or Shaden Sharp for that matter, even if even with the concerns for both of them. Yeah, and I understand that. I mean, I have AJ at eight, so like, if he goes seven, like, who cares? You know, it's like that's uh, that's all subjective to change. And I think you can make a case for. I feel like anybody in the like five to ten range for why you have him in there because there's some really good talent in this in this draft class in that range and that tier. And I and I'm really intrigued by some of these guys. But uh, that's three names. Can you go to number four now? Yeah, number four and number five are kind of in the same grouping, which I know you're going to disagree with probably, but it's Matherin and Sohan. Yeah. And I I don't know. I watch Sohan a lot because my I have a family member that's a Baylor grad. And, boy, he just, he just looks really good out there. You want to talk about position of need. I know the offensive game isn't quite there, but he just – he was – kind of like O'Shea and that he was just doing good stuff all the time. Really feisty player. I, I really like him again, not a guy I want to be taking at five, six, seven, but um, you know, I, I like him a lot. I think he's going to be a good NBA player might, might require a little bit of a certain context around him. Uh, and, and then, you know, you get into Matthew and, and, and he's just a good player all around. I think he's going to, he's going to do a lot of good things in the league. Um, 
just a matter of getting him in the right place and and seeing how he fits with the players that uh, he's drafted towards. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things with Sohan is you're getting a guy that's just going to, like, add so much of a, of a morale boost to your team. I, I feel like he is definitely an energy guy, a glue guy, a guy that's going to come in there and just not be afraid to muck it up, as we call it. Uh, you know, just kind of, you know, ruffle some feathers. And I think the Pacers could use someone like that. That's why I think it'd be intriguing if maybe he even fell down to 15. I don't think he would if the Cavs ended up making the playoffs as like an eight seed or something like that. But, you know, I, I think, you know, there are some limitations and some concerns with his offense. He's not a shot creator whatsoever, not a good shooter. Uh, he's got a, sh- a slow shooting motion. And offensively, you know, he's not going to really create for himself. So he's more of like this defensive guy that's going to rebound the basketball and create opportunities for himself on the offensive glass. I think he is probably like one of the best defenders in this class, if not the best, with his ability to switch and just be super versatile. But I uh, I just wonder, like, with a guy so limited offensively, is that worth a top 10 pick in this year's draft? I don't know if it is, but I um, I would be intrigued by it. You know, like you said, he plays a position of need for sure. Six foot nine, 230 pounds. I mean, that's a pretty solid power forward in today's modern NBA. I've heard a lot of Sean Marion comparisons. Um, I think that's fair. I think Sean Marion was a super impactful player. So I like that as well. But, you know, going back to Benedict Matherin, I have Benedict number seven on my board. So obviously I'm a little bit higher on him than Sohan. And it's just like, I see I see some flashes of Victor Ladipo, And I did put a poll out the other day on Twitter where I basically put Victor Ladipo's final year at IU, his stats out compared to Benedict's final year at Arizona, just to kind of see what they look like and have people vote on which one they would like better, player A or player B. But, you know, Matherin, I feel like there is some potential in that we haven't seen, and I, I like his upside as well. I feel like both those guys, I mean, maybe not Sohan, but I feel like Matherin's more a swing for the fences as well if you pick him that early. But I I, uh, I am intrigued by his game overall. Yeah, absolutely. I I just really worry about picking somebody who's a question mark defensively or like an uncertainty defensively, not, not even really a question mark because this team is just so bad defensively. Mm-hmm. They were bad with miles out there. They were bad no matter who was out there. And, and I just think that that's a, for a foundational piece like this. And of course being 20 or whatever, any of these guys are, they can obviously grow, especially with the heavy athleticism and the wingspan height, all that stuff. But I just, for a baseline, I would prefer to have somebody as a good defender. And I don't know about Matthew in, in that regard, but again, depends on where you're picking him. I don't think, I think he's going to be a good player. Um, I really do. It's just a matter of where he goes. Cause I, I, again, at five, I am, I am not with Matthew at five, but again, seven, yeah. it's probably fine. Yeah. And, and I, and I kind of feel that way too. Cause at first I had him at like number five when I was redoing all this and I was like, you know what? I don't see the high as high of a ceiling for him as I see for Shaden Sharp, let alone I don't see a high of a floor as I see in Keegan Murray. So, um, you know, you could talk me into it, though, if, if that's the case. If I had someone from Arizona come on here and, like, tell me everything that he did that was so great, yeah, I probably would be like, okay, maybe I need to think this over again. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think that's why I said it's so hard for me. I feel like it's all just, like, marginal in terms of, like, ranking these guys in my top ten. And so, basically, you would have said everybody I said, but – um, I did have Dern at nine ahead of Eason, but that's just my actual big board and who I think might have overall like the better career. But 
the more and more I watch film and tape on Terry Eason, Red, I won't lie, I am really intrigued by him. I think defensively he might be the best defender in this draft class. I think it's really uh, at his position. I think it's really between him and Sohan. I, I am so intrigued, and I, I don't understand why he came off the bench. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Like, their best player at LSU came off the bench, and it's just kind of, like, so weird. And, like, obviously that school is going through some turmoil right now with guys leaving for the NBA draft, or they're just entering the transfer portal with so many allegations down there. Their coach got fired before the tournament. So, you know, I just – I really like Terry And If you go watch him play, you'll be able to tell, like, hey, this guy can switch one through five. Uh, he actually shot a decent percentage from three at 37%, but he only took 70 shots all season long. So it is a low sample size, but maybe that's something that you can work on. But I just love how, like, he gets the ball and he can just kind of take it down the floor. Uh, I see some shades of Scotty Barnes. I didn't want to, like, make that comparison when I was doing my article for eight points, nine seconds, just because I didn't want to, like, overstep my my boundaries here in terms of what kind of pro comp for him. But I can see something similar to that. I just uh, Patrick Williams is another guy that I think could fit that same mold of a player that would uh, intrigue me about Terry Eason. But, you know, it's uh, it's all subjective and you might like Sohan better than Terry Eason. And you might be right. That could be how it plays out in the NBA. But I think both these guys are intriguing, uh, intriguing prospects. Oh, for sure. And I have a group of five that I like for the Pacers if they get the Cavs pick as well. But it's such it, like we said, it's such a crapshoot from 13 to 30 that these guys could go anywhere within that range. And I don't really think it would be a surprise. And that's guys like Kendall Brown, Ochayak Baji, Patrick Baldwin Jr., who I know everybody has late in their first round. But I am telling he reminds me so much of Jaden McDaniels, which anybody who follows me on Twitter knows how much I love Jaden McDaniels. (laughs) Do not let one bad college season in a poor context steer you away from a big wing that can defend and create shots for himself like that is that is the type of player and especially if you can get a safe pick like a Keegan Murray in the first pick Patrick Baldwin Jr. should be the target for the next one because boy I I just so much talent on the wing and so much upside that would just be awesome and then uh Jaden Hardy and then uh you said his name a whole lot better than I did out of France the the wing that uh yeah Osman Dieng yeah that yeah He's a, he's another guy. It's a, a pretty big swing, but it just really depends on what the Pacers think they're gonna have time for. If that makes sense, like if they're gonna yeah. be willing to develop these guys, bring them along slow. I, I don't know. It could go any any direction, honestly. Yeah, I think there's some guys. I'm a little bit higher on Nikola Jovic, and it seems like most people are based on what I've seen mock draft wise. I think ESPN had him in like the early 20s, but I have him. Um, in my 11 to 20 range, which I'll release on next Monday for the uh, eight points, nine seconds, as I continue to reveal uh, my top 30 and, and continue to move on with that. But it's really, it's really tough, man. I mean, there are some guys in this draft where you can talk yourself into them. I mean, even at like, I have him in, in the late twenties or middle twenties. I have EJ Liddell from Ohio state. Like I thought he played pretty well this year. And I thought in the tournament, yeah. he looked really good. So if like the Pacers got someone like that, even, at like 17, 18, 19, wherever they pick, like, hey, that's enticing. But it's really just kind of cool to see, like, there's a possibility. And I think Kendall Brown, like, I feel like in the tournament, people kind of got turned off by him because he wasn't in the rotation during that huge comeback against UNC. But I I feel like he probably has potentially more upside than Sohan as an overall prospect uh, just because of the, the things that he can do offensively as well. And I think defensively he's got the tools to be really good. 
So, you know, it's, it's like so marginal thin between some of these guys. It just depends on what you like. So, anyway, we'll talk about a lot more draft stuff as we continue into the offseason. But I uh, didn't know how much we'd have Red on to talk about his draft stuff. So I wanted to hear your thoughts, uh, Red, on who you had. And um, any, anything else before I sign off here on the draft that you like? Oh no! I, we pretty much covered all of the guys. I just, I just want to see where, where all of this, uh, these last couple of games drive the the standings. Because I just, I want to get to the draft. I want to get to the off season. <laughs> I, I'm excited for uh, postseason basketball. Obviously, <laughs> even with the Pacers not involved, but uh, it's. I just want the off season to get here so we can actually have an idea of what this team's going to be. Oh man, I know six weeks away from the draft lottery, I believe. So we are inching our way to there, but it'll be a slow process as we uh, uh, just watch playoff basketball. Once again, we have the Pacers in it. But Rhett, before I let you go, rank the top four that uh, is consensus right now between Holmgren, Ivy, Boncaro, and Smith. How would you rank those top four? Oh man, it's going to be team dependent for me. Um, but in a vacuum, well, let's I just say for the Pacers. Then let's just say for okay the for the Pacers, it's probably Paolo Jabari, Ivy, Chet. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they if they really like Chet, then then they'll probably have him up there a ways. Um, but. I still consider Miles a part of the team because he's still on the team. And drafting Chet, I don't know how that fit would go. You still have Isaiah Jackson, which obviously isn't as much of a consideration with a top pick. But, yeah, I I just have a hard time seeing Chet uh, <laughs> on this Pacers team. But, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of it. Paolo Jabari, Ivy Chet. Yeah, I, uh, that's what I have for my overall. So uh, that's just kind of where I am on these guys. And I know there's a lot of people that really like Chet as number one or number two. I think Kevin O'Connor actually knocked him down to three on his big board, which he originally had him number one. So I'll just say this. I'm sure he's getting some feedback, and I think that's part of the reason why you might see him drop. I would not be surprised if he drops out of the top four. I would not be surprised if a team at four that does not like him trades back potentially. Uh, <laughs> just because, like you said off air, we have not seen a prospect like Chet Holmgren ever. I mean, you can make comparisons to Mobley, Durant, whatever you want to compare him to. No, we really no, have no. Not. You cannot make comparisons to Durant. <laughs> they're no. not. They're not fair <laughs> comparisons at all. So I think with him, it's just uh, similar to Shaden Sharp. It's like a mystery box. I feel like his per thirty six numbers are pretty sick. They're pretty ridiculous. Like almost five blocks a game, like eighteen thirteen with like ridiculous shooting, like sixty percent from the field and like or two, excuse me, whatever, I, whatever it is. I always get those too confused when I look at them. <laughs> and then like forty plus percent from three, it's like, man, this dude could be sick, but. At the same time, he's just such a mystery player. Like, is he worth the risk? And, I mean, I, I just don't know if it's the right fit for the Pacers. But um, that is my thoughts on uh, Chet Holmgren. So, Rhett, let's go ahead and wrap this conversation up. Thank you so much for joining me uh, last second, really, as uh, we were trying to determine what we wanted to do and if you were even going to be available. But uh, a lot of good things to talk about. So where can the people find you at on social media and plug anything that you have that you'd like people to check out? Yeah, you can just find me on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer, R-H-E-T-T underscore B-A-U-E-R. I will be working on some draft stuff, um, maybe for 8.9 seconds, maybe just on my Twitter feed. So be sure to follow me and uh, and check it out if you would like. Absolutely. And Fachi will be back Thursday. He's going to have a special guest. Howard Beck is coming back on the show. So Fachi will be doing a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Howard Beck. That'll be out Thursday night, Friday morning for all of our great listeners. 
Uh, we've always enjoyed Howard Beck coming on our show. Uh, give Fachi a follow on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. We're on Instagram at Pacers Talk. And of course, on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. And if you're excited that the Pacers are just a half game back of the OKC Thunder for the inverse standings, Red, say these three words. Let's go Pacers. Let's go Pacers. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.